2: on News Radio 680
3: WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, there was an interesting article in regard to being an investor or a speculator and asking the question, which one are you?
1: Yeah, I remember the article. I believe it was written by Jason Zweig in the Wall Street Journal. But what Jason said that is that it isn't what you buy but rather why you buy that determines whether you are investing or speculating. And so he put out there the question of, are you an investor or are you a speculator? Now, the traditional view, which dates back at least to the 19th century, is that an investor buys to capture a predictable long-term stream of cash flow, while a speculator buys to harvest a short-term change in price.
3: It isn't just that the same asset can simultaneously be an investment and a speculation, depending on who holds it. It's also the why. The same person can be an investor and a speculator at the
1: same time. Yeah, it's important before committing any money to any asset, you need to ask yourself why you want to. Picture yourself on a continuum running from speculator to the far left to investor at the far right. And if you buy this asset, where are you on that continuum?
3: Right, because you want to ask yourself that question because you want to know, well, why does that even matter? If you think you're investing when, in fact, you are actually speculating on a stock or an investment, a collision with reality could really knock you off
1: course. You know, Deborah, if you buy because you're afraid of being left behind, should stocks keep booming, then you're a speculator. That's right. If the markets rise then makes you worry instead and look to rebalance your portfolio by selling some of what's gone up and buying some of what's gone down, then you're an investor.
3: That's right. And this is what we're helping our clients see the difference is that when you are investing for the overall financial planning goal of achieving your financial planning Goals, you know, the things you want to accomplish, what decade you're in and what you're, what, what decades
1: you're looking out into the future
3: for. This is a distinction.
1: I, I think I would correct Jason Zweig by adding that there is a third category of people. You don't have to say, Am I just an investor or speculator? Indeed, there are people who have a certain amount of money that they put aside as their mad money. Oh, sure. A I play can, yeah. account. That's right. Their play account. You and I have seen clients come to our office. They have 750000 a million dollar investment portfolio, $2 million dollar investment portfolio. And they say, but I'd like to keep you dollars know, $40,000 <laughs> just my play money. That's you know? right. When
3: Absolutely. Oh. When Bojangles went public, <laughs> several people were like, well, I eat there every day. I'd like to see what happens with that price. And, and, you, that remember stock. The, and
1: you remember the client that said, I want to buy i want to buy tesla
3: tesla stock right <laughs> okay
1: right. That's, yeah that's uh that's mad money yes just right. stuff for that's fun. that's easy to say this money that i set aside is just speculation money but there is a third category right other than just an investor and i would say that is a financial planning client yes are you a speculator are you an investor or are you a planner? That's right. And a planner is a different category and this is actually what we focus 100% of our Attention at our office with our clients. That's right. We make sure number one that we get them out of the realm of just speculating versus planning.
3: Well, you know what I would sorry, add to that versus investing. investing. I would add to that that we get people out of the headspace that um, what you would come into Lewis Financial Management for would be only investment management or money management. What we do as financial planners at Lewis Financial Management since nineteen. 19- 83. I mean, you know, this is what this is what folks are coming in week after month after year for, which is comprehensive financial planning that yes includes investments but is not exclusive only. Our advice extends to so many different areas. Are you a procrastinator? Many people are when it comes to financial
2: planning, pre-retirement planning, questions about investments or updating their estate planning and their wills. Call us at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we can help you make decisions about your financial planning. And visit our website at DougAndLinda.com.
1: This matter of, are you an investor? Are you a speculator? It becomes crucial when the rubber hits the road in our office, Deborah, because... For so many years now, we have uh, actually, at our first meeting with clients, Mm -hmm. we have uh, focused them 100%. If you're here, Mr. Client, because you want us to see if we can make you a real barrel of money, we usually tell them, you're in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. This is not what we do, all right? That's, uh, That's different from what we do. What we do, Mr. Client, we tell them always, is we focus on what are your needs. That's right. And your goal, whether you realize it or not, your goal is not to make a lot of money, Mr. Client. Your goal is to become financially independent with the least risk. That's right. In other words, we want you to have an investment portfolio That you can plan on it reaching a certain point at which time it can start paying out to you and still never go down in value. That's right. And you can live the lifestyle of your dream. So this is not a speculator, nor is it an investor. Right. It's a planner. We want to make every one of our clients a planner.
3: That's right. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website com. That's DougAndLinda.com I do believe we have a caller.
1: Wait, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Doug, Linda, I enjoy your show very much.
4: Thank you very much. I'd like, if you could, to explain to me the difference between no-load,
1: front-end load, and back-end load funds. It's sort of like saying, uh, do I sell my house with or without the use of a real estate broker? Well, the the bottom line shouldn't be, do I sell it with or without the help of a real estate broker? It's where do I make the most money? Right, right. And so what the sales charge is or what the load is, that is the charge that does not get into the hands of the mutual fund managers. It's what you pay someone to help you select the different funds. That's what the load is. Okay. Uh, The load is simply a commission. Right. It's a commission paid to either a broker or financial planner to help you determine which mutual fund is best for you. When you say a no-load fund, that's for the person who says, I don't need any help. I can get my own funds and I don't need any help. Uh, and so uh, funds who promote themselves as no-load funds, they go directly to the public and they say, you don't need the help of anybody else, you can go ahead and read our material and we will tell you why uh, you should invest with us. Um, that's generally recognized for very sophisticated investors that are able to do so. The question then of do you pay the load up front, as most funds do, or do you uh, go into a fund that says, you don't have to pay any load, we'll pay the commission to the person for you. But if you ever surrender or withdraw all of your money from this fund and cash it out and take it and buy yourself a car or a house and consume it, then at that time, the load will be paid. That's called a back-end load. Okay. Uh, I personally don't think that anybody should ever go into a mutual fund thinking that they're going to one day consume it. You should be trying to invest your money to such a degree that it provides comfort for you and it supports you, but not that you just consume the whole thing at one time. Right. Right. I mean, and that's that's like, you know, that that's what I call killing your chickens and then you have no chickens and eggs. Right. Much better to live off the eggs. So, in, in the, and in, I guess if I'm understanding it, then a front end
4: load, let's say you went in with $10,000, you would pay whatever the commission is on the 10000 on the way
1: in. Right, maybe $500.
4: And then as you liquidate it or, or as you take extract the pieces from it to do things or break it out of the retirement or whatever, then there would be no additional commissions charged. Right. Where on a back end, let's say over the course of ten years, it became
1: fifteen thousand, and I'm just pulling numbers out of the air. Yeah, that'd be a pretty bad fund, by the way. But yeah. Okay. But, <laughs> but let's say let's say let's say it became thirty thousand. Okay, and then you'd be um, you'd pay the
4: commissions on the total value if you did take it all out at
1: one time. And actually, most of back end load funds they peter out over a six year period. So if you waited to send ten years, there is nothing left anyway to to be subtracted. Do you, you mean that there's nothing left? There's no more commission? Right. A lot of the funds offer incentives that say, even if it's back end loaded, if you're willing, to, I mean, if you stay in the in the fund for a period of let's say six years, okay, then there's there's still you never uh, pay the load. So if you were to
4: get out in the first year, it'd be X percentage, and the fourth year it'd be a lower percentage, and right. then beyond six, it would basically be zero percentage.
1: Right. And then there's the question of, well, what if I don't want to liquidate my fund and and consume the money, but maybe I don't like the way my fund is running, and I'd like to switch to another fund. Well, then, if you're in the family of funds, you can move from one fund to the other and not pay any commission, any load. Most families of funds let you move from liquidate one fund and go to another fund that they offer, maybe a stock fund to a bond fund or a balanced fund and so forth, and not pay it then.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919 7000 That's 919 USA 7000. Okay. Doug, in relation to Wade's call, what are the expense ratios that one usually experiences if they. You see, that's get a in much more funds. crucial
1: factor, and that's something that not many people focus on. The load, whether it's front or rear, is a one time sales charge that goes to the broker or the planner. However, what about the internal charges of running the fund? Most no-load funds have higher expense ratios. But still the question is, well, what does the expense ratio, what is it composed of? And it's very interesting. The expense ratio has three categories. The three categories are... Of the of what composes an expense ratio in a mutual fund are first of all the management fees, and that's how much the mutual fund manager is paid and his salary, how much it costs to for the rent and the all the support of the manage of the of what's called the mutual fund advisory company. The management fees are one part of the expense ratio, and then there's a second part which is called the 12b-1 fee, and that's usually uh, as much as a quarter of a percent for marketing the product. Uh, and then there's a third type called other expenses which are audit expenses, legal expenses, shareholder, transfer agent expenses, custodial expenses. Those are the other expenses. Now those three categories management fees, 12 B1s and other expenses are the three categories broken out in every mutual fund prospectus and typically the industry average is about 1.5% per year. But there's total of the three? Yes. Okay. There's a major expense that is not included in the expense ratios and is not a load, but no one ever knows about it, but it impacts drastically how much your fund makes in money. And those are the trading costs. In other words, the mutual fund manager, when he buys and sells stocks in your portfolio for you, he calls a brokerage firm. right? And so there are commissions every time he buys and every time he sells. Well, these trading costs can be another 2% add it on to a portfolio if the portfolio is what they call turned over over a year's period of time. Right. If your mutual fund manager has a philosophy of buying stocks and holding them for the long term, then his trading costs are going to be less sure. than a manager who has a 200% uh, turnover ratio, right. which means he turns the entire portfolio over for the entire year. Right. So if you have an average cost ratio, let's say, as the industry has of maybe 1.5%, and you've got another uh, um, trading cost. That's another two percent. You can have as much as three and a half percent taken out of your fund every single year. And these are the things that you need to get into in the selecting of the fund. The load is a, is a minor issue. I see. You see, that's the help of the advisor. Right. But uh, those are the factors that need to be looked at in terms of how your money is going to grow over time. Okay, well, great. I certainly enjoy your show.
2: And if you have further questions, call the office in Raleigh at 919 872 That's 919-USA-7000. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for calling, Wade. Well, Doug, uh, that was a very interesting call from Wade about load funds versus no load funds. And then there's another discussion that needs to be had here about uh, fees and charges, when a – some some advisors will charge a one-time sales charge when an investment purchase is transacted. Okay. But then there are others that are – and mainly fee, fee-only advisors or money managers who take your money and they advise you as to where they think you should position those –
1: Dollars. Well, yeah, let's 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 get the language clear. You're exactly right, Linda. That's a whole subject matter that is being perpetrated upon the public uh, and confuses the public. And I am very sensitive to this issue. They call themselves fee only financial planners. I'm a fee only financial planner and we only do no load funds. Well, what you're talking about are people that charge a fee to you every year. Every year. Of course. (laughs) But they say you're going to be in no-load funds. Well, that's exactly true. There is no load, but there is this fee that you're paying. And the fee is, as you say, usually 1%. uh, One of the major brokerage firms just announced that they are going up to 1.5% for uh, accounts under Uh, under half million, I think. So between 1% a year. So on a, you know, on a... Let's say you had a million dollars. You're talking about $10,000 a year to be in this kind of account and you're getting no-load funds. Well, (laughs) do the math and you're paying a lot more. (laughs) A lot of money every year. Yeah, so the question really isn't load versus no-load. It's what are the fees you're being charged and for what services. Is it just for money Management putting you in mutual funds, or is it total financial planning? And how much is it costing you?
3: And and you may only know of of money management, and and that might be as much as you have learned that you can you can buy advice on. And really, there's a whole world of financial topics uh, that are pertinent to you, important to you, that affect your life that you want to pay someone for advice on. And that's the that's the comprehensive financial planner.
1: That's right. I, that's yeah. I, like, I like the way you put it, Deborah. that it really depends on what you want. Do you want a financial planner that will give you advice in a comprehensive fashion in all sorts of areas other than just the world of mutual funds?
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. Well, Doug, a typical question in the world of retirement planning is usually about the required minimum distribution or what's called the RMD from retirement accounts. In general, if you're older than 70 and a half, the deadline for making RMDs, is New Year's Eve. So starting the process now to beat the end of the year rush and to dodge the penalty for missing the deadline is on many people's minds. And
1: should be, because if you're older than 70 and a half, you only have until December 31 to take out your required minimum distribution from your traditional IRAs and 401ks. But many people wait right until the last minute to take out that required withdrawal. And if you don't happen to get it out by the deadline, guess what? You have a tax penalty of 50% for the amount that you should have withdrawn. Ouch. So,
3: I'm guessing if there are a lot of questions, these might represent a few. What if a person... I uh, wanted to know when should they start initiating the process to get plenty of time for the RMD to be made?
1: Well, Deborah, it's best to submit the request as soon as possible because call and request volume for financial services providers tends to be much higher than usual at the end of the year. Plus, if your transaction requires you to sell any holdings, that processing time can also take time, and the IRS is very unforgiving about your excuse of why.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I'm guessing that that's probably very true. Now, Doug, which of the investments in an IRA will the RMD be
1: withdrawn from? Well, you can have a certain amount withdrawn from one or more investments that you choose, or you can sell proportionally from all of them. If you specify a fixed percentage, then the money will be withdrawn from the investments that you choose. For example, if you elect to have 100% of your RMD withdrawn from a money market fund of any mutual fund, only that investment will be tapped. But you may want to shift money from other investments to that money market fund throughout the year and have dividends swept into that fund so that the money is available for the RMD no matter what happens to your other investments over the short term.
3: Now, I would say there's also a second or a third, but there's also other advice. And what would you say, Doug, if someone was asking, what's in general your best uh, advice for how to take
1: out the RMD? Yeah, because the way we do it mm-hmm. at Lewis Financial Management, we never want you to wait until December. So we compute your Required minimum distribution at the beginning of the year, and then we have you start taking it out in 12 little monthly pieces throughout the year so that by the time December comes along, you have gotten out your RMD and several benefits have occurred because of this.
3: That's uh, that, that would be easy to point out. The, first, if we're taking 12 withdrawals, those are going to be less Hurtful of the investment portfolio.
1: Very good, Deborah, because it's the reverse of dollar cost averaging going in. It's dollar cost averaging going out. And you're taking out little pieces while the funds are going up and down in value. So you don't run the risk of a large one-time hit in December.
2: Doug and Deborah, doesn't that also uh, address the issue of cash flow planning? It really does. tax planning. It really does. Because as you take
3: that money out, you're also being taxed, right? Correct. And and it make, it forces you to, to apply that, um, that that tax analysis, which we as financial planners are doing for our clients on a regular basis, continuously if they have a database.
1: The second benefit to taking your RMD the way we practice it at Lewis Financial Management, by taking it out month by month over the 12 months of the year, not only does it soften the risk of hitting the investment portfolio in any one month, Strongly, it also gives you what Linda said cash flow planning what to do with the money when it comes out. Most of our clients actually don't need that required minimum distribution amount to live on. True. So we can target that it goes right back into another investment portfolio that is outside their IRA and it's dollar cost averaging going in. In. So they're really moving their money from one pocket to the other and getting the benefit of double dollar cost averaging. Uh And as Linda said, we can also do tax projections through the year to see if we're going to be running into the alternative minimum tax.
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. Yeah, and this is, this is probably all a part of when, when someone gets to the point to where they are considering uh, the requirement of distribution rules, if you want to give some of that RMD from your IRA to a charity, Doug, what steps do you need to take, and when should you do this?
1: Congress permanently approved the law that permits people who are over 70 and a half to give up to $100,000 from their IRAs to charity, and they can make that transfer anytime during the year. Well, that's cool. That's
3: really a, a good thing to do. I almost say that's cool, but it is kind of cool what you can do. Yeah, because that transfer is called a qualified charitable distribution. And um, that's a, a unique way to take care of two things at one time.
1: It is. The qualified charitable distribution, Deborah, also called the QCD, the qualified. Charitable distribution uh, is a very nice strategy, but to make it happen properly, the IRA custodian must make the check payable directly to the charity for it to count as the QCD. You can have the administrator of the IRA send the check made out to the charity to your address, and then you can send the check to the charity yourself. Or the IRA administrator may have a form on which you can specify the charity's address and have the check sent directly to the charity. We've done both in our office for clients. And it's wise to let the charity know the check is coming from your account so it can give you an acknowledgement of that contribution. You know, we've also done a third type of thing, which is the in-kind transfer. Let me address that because that's very important also, Deborah. Let's say that you want to make the gift to a charity but it's not coming from your IRA for various reasons. All right. Then if it's not coming from your charity, I mean from your IRA to the charity, and let's say you've got an investment portfolio with $50,000 that you'd like to make a gift to charity. What we have done is we have done the in-kind transfer because for you to sell $50,000 of the stock or the mutual fund in your portfolio to get the 50000 to then give it to a charity, you're going to pay tax on the gain of that $50,000 sale. That's correct. But if you instead do an in-kind transfer... Gave the stocks that you own... Or the mutual fund that you own directly to the charity, mm-hmm. all right, then the charity can sell them tax-free... You made the gift, and you avoided all tax on your end.
3: Sounds like you gave a bigger gift, too, because if you didn't have to pay that tax to get the net proceed to give to the charity, and you gave the full value of the charity, it might allow you to give a little bit more.
1: That's exactly right. The in-kind wow. transfer is the one that we have used. We just used one. I think we had two clients in the last couple of weeks that we've done Correct. this for. Correct.
3: Yes. So, Doug, I guess the last thing that we probably want to remind people about in regard to RMDs or required minimum distributions in regard to IRAs is that they are very different from 401ks. So if you're not, if you're no longer working, you'll have to take your required distribution from your 401k starting the same thing as the IRA at age 70 and a half. But if you're still working, you generally can delay taking required distributions from your current employer's 401k until after you stop working at that job. If you want to accumulate enough to be financially independent, call me, Deborah Lewis, at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: And I think we should pause right now. We've got a call coming in. Uh, Christina? Are you on the line? This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. How can we help you this evening?
4: Hi. Yes. Uh, I was actually listening to your to your show. I think it's funny that you're talking about adults supporting our uh, parents supporting adult children. Luckily for me, um, I no longer have my parents supporting me. I'm 25 year old, and you know, luckily, I'm on my own I'm a good for you for myself.
1: Good for you, Christina. <laughs>
4: Thank you. Um, so I'm, I think I'm kind of at that age where I um, you know I have a good job. I'm, I'm one of those maybe still living in the now. I have a couple of those lattes as you mentioned. Um, <laughs> so I'm just trying to figure out at what point I should start um, saving, saving for the future, kind of planning for, for, for retirement. Um, what what I should invest
1: in. All right, Christina, well, I'm glad that you are calling. I'm glad that you're enjoying $4 lattes. Deborah Esker, let's get some facts about Christina so we can answer her question.
3: Sure. You said you're 25. Yes. And are you single or married? I am single. Okay. And no children? No children. Okay. (laughs) And and no dependents is really where I was going with that. And your income? My income is
4: about 50.
3: Okay. All right. And do you have anything, have you contributed anything to your retirement plan at work?
4: Yes, I do have a 401k. Okay. Um, and I've
3: been
4: contributing to that since, I, since I've had it for a couple of years now. But I, I think, is that all I should be doing? Well,
1: well let's, well, let's yeah, start let's, with the expenses. Do you have any idea what your living expenses are, Christina? Um,
3: okay.
1: Yeah, what does it cost you to live on a monthly basis? What do you think?
4: Um... Probably yeah. around eight to nine
1: hundred. Eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred? No, eight to nine hundred. Eight to nine hundred dollars. Oh, so you've got over two thousand a month, uh, extra?
4: Actually no, that that's kind of low.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> you put it that way. Okay. Um, no, prob yeah, probably about about um well, I'll tell you what, I paid I just paid off my car, so so now, yes, I have a little bit more than than before. So probably, let's say um, twelve, like twelve hundred.
1: All right, about twelve hundred dollars a month. You think is what it costs to support yourself? Right. All right, and now you're on your four hundred one k. Does your employer match at all? Anything?
4: They do. They match up to four percent.
1: And, and they match up to four percent. And how much are you contributing of your salary?
4: So, so they match a hundred percent to four percent, and then they do fifty. From four to six percent, that additional two percent. Uh-huh. I'm contributing six percent.
1: Okay, that's good. You're doing exactly where I would tell you to stop. No more, but certainly no less, because they're giving you free money. Mm-hmm. Now in the four oh one K, you need to understand what choices you have. Do you know where you are having the money invested? What are the investment choices? I don't know
4: that.
1: No. Okay. Number two. You need to know, what about the extra that's left over every month that on your paycheck? And that becomes the most crucial thing. We actually call that pay yourself first. And what we mean by that is, once you've got your expenses, and I would recommend, jot down our, our, our office number.
3: 919 872
1: Okay, that was nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. 7000 Okay. And write down our website, com. Okay. And then after the show, call the office, leave your number, and Deborah will schedule a meeting for you to come in and meet with her or me and actually start financial planning. But the first thing we're going to look at when you come in is we're going to look out... What are the expenses and what's left over afterwards and how you can begin what's called a pay yourself first investment plan. The beautiful thing is at age 25, you have the strong possibility of becoming a middle class millionaire long before you are in your 60s. And <laughs> it is. It, and it's great because you have the magic of years. Mm. Compounding works over the years, much more than looking for hitting the lottery. So that's the important thing. The second thing, of course, is that you need to go ahead and get a handle on how to invest, where to invest, what types of things to invest in. But this pay-yourself-first investment will be a probably a mutual fund, not in a retirement plan.
4: Okay.
1: So just as you're putting money automatically into your 401k plan, automatically. You will automatically put money into a mutual fund that is not in a retirement plan. And these two, which you could call buckets, these two buckets will grow through the years in such a way that Deborah will be able to show you in 10 years how much you will have, in 20 years how much you will have, and so forth. That's the beginning of financial planning.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919- 872-7000, 919-872-7000. 872-7000, 872
1: Other questions that you may ask when you come in for your appointment will be, what about life insurance? Do I need any? What about health insurance? Am I properly covered? What about a will? Do I need one? What should be in my will? What about my income taxes? And any other questions that you want. Once you finish that appointment, you will feel, wow, I've got control of my life and that's what a financial planning session looks like from the beginning right deborah that's true that's
3: absolutely true i was just doing some um, pen to paper to see what she could accumulate i hadn't gotten to the answer yet but it is really the power christina of years i mean as someone um uh, who is in their twenties, what you have is 30 plus years before you will be tapping this amount of money. So even if you just use the guideline of 10% of every dollar I make, 10% goes into savings and investing, you, you create the likelihood that just like Doug said, you'll be a middle-class millionaire in your middle age.
2: Okay. And, and, you know, um, as far as your retirement planned, um, you know, uh, you You want to check just to make sure who the beneficiary is on your retirement plan, because if anything changes in your situation, um, you know, in the future, you may you may want to revisit that and see who is the beneficiary of your retirement
1: plan. Do you think that gives you a little handle on how to get started?
4: Yeah, it does. I
3: mean, I think when I go in, I'll
1: probably ask more specific questions, like what a mutual fund is. Well, well, We've
3: got more specific answers. (laughs) I,
1: I will guarantee you only one thing. I will guarantee you two things. I don't guarantee many things. Two guarantees you will have. You will come out of that meeting with every question you come in answered. Every question will be answered for you. And number two, you will come out saying, wow, I sure understand a lot. That I never knew.
3: That's right. That's right. Well, Christina, um, thank you for calling. Can you think of any other questions?
4: No, I think I think you pretty much answered it. I'll call the office and I'll set up an appointment. I definitely would like to um, get more into depth so I can, like I said, have a handle on my
2: teacher. <laughs> that is great. And we're so proud of you. And uh, thank yeah. you so much for calling. Yeah. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. Talk thank to you, you soon. You. Okay. Bye-bye, Christina. Bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you'd like, or if you've been thinking about uh, scheduling an appointment with a financial advisor, or maybe you want a second opinion about where your investments are currently, call us at Lewis Financial Management and we will be happy to schedule an appointment for you. And that number in Raleigh uh, is 919 868 Nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine
3: USA seven thousand. You know, Doug and Linda, I am repeatedly impressed by how uh, young um, and astute and paying attention to details our call- callers have become in the last year and the people who are calling to make appointments at our office. Uh, 20s, 30s, 40s, this is very different than, you know, 30 years ago or 25 years ago when we started the radio show and the callers were primarily pre-retirement or retirement years. You know, it makes a difference when you start it when you're 25. So I can't say enough how you know proud I am of young people who are listening to the show, asking questions. These are the things that will make a difference in their life. Well, what,
1: yeah, what I, like about, what I like about Christina is she can afford her $4 lattes. That's right. <laughs> and she can still <laughs> accumulate right. and become a middle-class millionaire. And when she comes in for her appointment, by the way, we forgot to tell her, we will give her a choice of either one of three books. Number one, middle-class millionaire. Number two, wealthy barber. Or number three, simple wealth inevitable wealth
3: and if you need advice call me during the week 919-872-7000 that's 919-872-7000 well Doug Linda we often get this question what is the best asset mix near retirement
1: yeah I can think of uh
3: you could probably think of only two people who have never asked you that question (laughs) (laughs) thousands and thousands of meetings this is what everybody
1: wants to know Yeah, the best allocation for any investor is the one where the mix of stocks, bonds, cash, and alternative investments allows you to sleep at night. But we know you need help. The traditional advice is to subtract your age from 100, which gives you the percentage of assets you should hold in stocks. If you're 66 years old, 35% of your assets should be in stocks. The balance then goes in bonds. But we happen to think this is nonsense. We sure do. Okay. That is crazy. All right. But it's very, very popular. It's the traditional advice that's given by a lot. So let's, let's go to how we do it.
3: All right. Well, our first feature, our first rule for, asset, for allocation. asset allocation is going to be we want you to own no stocks,
1: no bonds, no real estate, no individual anything. That's right. So, we want no individual anything. Number two, we want no index funds. Absolutely. We want a a true
3: manager of a pool of investments. So, no index
1: funds. That's right. Number three, no ETFs. No ETFs. <laughs> That's right. I'm just repeating it. <laughs> That's right.
3: That's right. And because the fundamental rule here is that we have just seen over decade after decade as that only active managed funds provide the, the risk reduction and results we want.
1: We know we want no stocks, no bonds, no annuities, No index funds, no ETFs. We only want actively managed funds. That's right. We want to
3: spread that risk evenly amongst what might be in favor or out of favor by having even sized units, units of investments. So if you have a million dollar portfolio and that's divided evenly, then we know that we're not making an unnecessary or disproportionate risk on what might be in
1: favor or out of favor. That's right. And lastly, we want to add some alternatives.
3: That's right. Alternatives are a really good way to add different aspects to the portfolio. Things that can't be uh, just Or things that won't be, I should say, dependent on the market. Things that aren't at risk to market volatility. Things that aren't dependent on stocks, bonds, uh, and tradable instruments.
2: And uh, that could be like REITs, right? Oh, absolutely. That provide a little bit
3: of stability when the market is going up and down. That is a typical type of alternative. That is exactly right. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, dougandlinda.com. Well, Doug, Linda, we work with a lot of small business owners who eventually want to sell their business. Let's share a recent question from a current client in that situation because there might be a listener tonight dealing with that very same problem. So the question is... How can you sell your business and avoid the capital gains taxes
1: Due If you're selling your business and you get an offer from a buyer, you're going to want to know what the net amount you'll receive is. After the taxes, you may only receive 60 or 70 percent of the sale price. So we've been helping families sell their businesses while avoiding all taxes by the use of the Section 664 Charitable Trust Strategy. Now, the charitable trust allows you to gift the business ownership stocks, uh, shares to the trust. Then the trust sells the business to the buyer. The sales proceeds are then able to be invested in an investment portfolio, and these investments create income that will now, by design, come out to you as a pension-like source of income, so, you as the grantor give the shares to the trust. You name yourself as the trustee. You as the trustee must pay the income beneficiary of the trust, which is you and your spouse, until the last of you dies or for a fixed number of years.
3: So, this sounds fantastic. This allows the your business to be sold tax-free and create an income stream for lifetime income. So... Doug, I guess we should go over the six players of a charitable trust. So first of all, who's the grantor?
1: The grantor is you, the client who owns the business. Okay. So
3: that is the donor, right?
1: That's also called the donor. All right. Now, who is the trustee? The trustee, Deborah, is also you.
3: So you're the grantor and you're the trustee. Then who is the income beneficiary?
1: Deborah, that's also you.
3: Well, this sounds fantastic, but wait a minute. Is this even legal? You're going to give to you and then turn around and pay you and save all the taxes? This sounds way too good to be true.
1: Well, interestingly enough, it's all written in the tax code. There is no problem being the trustee of your own charitable trust.
3: And this is why we talk about it so much
1: on the air. But on the other hand... There is the danger of fraud from the IRS's viewpoint. Uh So what they want and what we want is that you have an independent administrator of this charitable trust who reports... The tax to the IRS, the status, mm -hmm. yeah. There's no hanky panky going (laughs) on. That's right. The proper accounting. That's That's right. right. That's right. Proper accounting does the tax return for the charitable trust, but you are the trustee, and you indeed pay yourself as the income beneficiary for the whole period until you and your wife die.
3: If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. So so far, we've uh, covered the first one, which is the grantor. The second one, who is the trustee? The third person or entity is going to be who's the income beneficiary? The fourth would be, well, who's the remainder beneficiary? No, no, we covered the fourth one. No, we
2: covered the administrator. The administrator. Okay, we've covered the
1: administrator. The administrator, that's Mm -hmm. the fourth one. And then, then, of course, the fifth one's going to be the money manager, who actually manages the money. And that, of course, in the case at Lewis Financial Management, that's Lewis Financial Management. doesn't have to be because the trustee can hire or fire the money manager as well as the administrator. But we've only covered five. There is indeed a sixth player.
3: Well, we called this strategy a charitable trust strategy. So we haven't talked about the charity of the charitable trust.
1: That's right. Now, the charity gets its remainder of what's in this trust After you and your wife die, at the end of the period of the trust, whatever's left, it goes to a charity. But it's very interesting. In some things with regard to these types of trust, there is an irrevocable decision making. But in other things, you can change your mind. Good point, Doug. This is one. The charity can be changed from one charity to another to another. You can't change your mind and say, I'll give it to my kids. But you can go in and change change your mind or add different charities on as time goes on. Or you can even do a perpetual family foundation, which will benefit many charities. And even that perpetual foundation can be... advised by your children or grandchildren.
3: So it sounds like it gives you a lot of flexibility to now in your lifetime be able to sell a business without any taxes. Yes. Be able to create an income stream that would now be pension-like from this business that you built. It now would be able to pay you and your spouse until the second spouse's death. So now you've
1: created income from this this charitable trust. And yes, indeed, it does sound too good to be true, but Believe it or not, there's one other beautiful part of it. What's this? You even get an income tax charitable deduction. For the creation of this. For the creation of it and giving your business, even though the charity will not get it until after you die, maybe 30 years from now, you're going to get a tax deduction this year. It's a beautiful strategy. Linda and I have done these for many, many years. Actually, the first one we ever did, Linda, was... It was a
2: family charitable trust that we did for... My family.
1: It was indeed. It It was for your own family. We did that one back in 1990, and we have done many of these since then. The investment portfolio, the tax strategy, all of the pieces of it work together. It's a beautiful strategy, and that indeed is how you can sell a business tax-free.
2: If you've got a question about selling your business... And maybe you've got an appreciated asset. Maybe you've got some stock that's appreciated or a farm or maybe a second house at the beach that you'd like to sell. Is there a way to sell it tax-free? Call us at Lewis Financial Management. We do comprehensive fee-based financial planning. This is what we do in our business. Leave us your name and number. That number to call is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA 7000. All right, I believe we have a, a caller.
5: Let's take a call.
1: Hello, Barbara. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening?
5: Well, I was just I listened to you guys and I heard um a comment about putting all of your money into one institution.
1: Yes, ma'am.
5: And then I've heard the other saying, Don't put all your eggs in one basket thing. So it's like, Okay, I just wanted some more info on that.
1: I'll be happy to clarify. First of all, if you're uh, if the 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 typical sales pitch from a stock brokerage firm is well, give us some of your money to handle And another brokerage firm says, give us some so you don't have it all, and spread your money around different uh, brokerage firms. Okay, that, of course, is wrong. That's not the way you approach it. So you want to have one uh, advisor that you trust totally. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing is you don't want to have different retirement custodians. Different custodians are uh, an accident waiting to happen. So if you, you don't want to have one 401k and another 401k and another 401k. You want to have all of those under one custodial account. But in that custodial account, you want to have diversification. You want to have a proper diversification. So you don't want everything in one mutual fund Or too much in any one mutual fund. You want to have your money spread evenly among different types of investments. You certainly don't want to have an annuity, for example, because an annuity is one investment, which may be absolutely wrong for you. And you want to have your money spread in a proper diversified portfolio, but under one custodian. Does that make sense?
5: It does. And I guess if you're lucky enough to have more than one 401k here and there and everywhere, I guess that makes sense.
1: Well, some people, for example, have been fired or have terminated a job and then they then they move to another one and that they've got a little 401k still dangling out there from before.
5: Right. And then some companies that you've got the option to roll it into another 401k plan, then it would still be, you know, still out there as well.
1: And that's exactly what Linda was saying when she said you shouldn't do that. Once you have left a firm and you are in a second firm, if your old 401k is still untouched, you should roll that into an IRA where you control it.
5: Correct. Okay. But still keep, if, you know, if you- And, then
1: inside, money, and then inside that I IRA, that's right. Inside that IRA, we want to have the money diversified. Maybe, let's say it's $300,000. It should be maybe in seven different mutual funds, uh, something like that, where it's diversified by types, by categories, by risk, and knowing the manager's but under one custodial account, one IRA custodian.
5: Right. And if you uh, have an IRA separate or a Roth IRA, with you should have those as well as the institution that has your 401K that you rolled over?
1: I think you should always, as much as possible, yes, have the custodians be the same. Okay. And uh, I'm really glad you brought the question up, Barbara. I don't know if you've had a chance to call our office before, but if not, put down my phone number.
3: 919. Oh, you got it oh, you. <laughs> yes ma'am that's it <laughs> right. you do well listen if you call uh we will definitely be able to give you some specific uh advice in regard to your particular situation and if you make an appointment of course we're giving out a copy of uh middle class millionaire wealthy barber or simple wealth inevitable wealth and Barbara, thank you for being a long-time listener
5: Thank you. I enjoy
3: your show. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, have a good evening. Thank
5: you.
3: Well, that's always the best call of all is, you know, uh, to someone who's been listening for a while and and,
1: and feeling like... And uh, I like the clarification because as we talked about chickens earlier in the invest yeah. we don't want to confuse the chicken with the chicken house. You want to have one chicken house, but you want to have a diversified portfolio of chickens. That's right. And the chicken house is one. The chickens are another, That's and this right. is what we need. We need to think of it that way, and I'm so glad that Barbara called in for clarification on that.
3: Well, Doug, Linda, recently a client had a question about his 401k, and this is a typical question. So, if you're listening tonight, this may be your question. He asked, My employer allows an in-service withdrawal from my 401k into an IRA. Should I do so? And how should I move my 401k
1: into an IRA? All right. Normally, you have to wait until you retire to move your accumulated value in your 401k into an IRA. However, some employers will allow you to move your 401k into an IRA after 20 or 30 years of employment or at a certain age. So, if this is available to you, it may be a wise decision. Moving your 401k into an IRA allows you to control the IRA by choosing the custodian and the investments. The custodian should be an independent custodian with no products to sell. This will open your investment choices up to the whole world of investments. And then, with the help of a certified financial planner, such as myself, Doug Lewis, or Deborah Lewis, you can design a well-diversified investment portfolio that will best meet your own unique individual goals.
3: You know, Doug, two things come to mind. What if you work for the state and you are... able to receive what's called Bailey Provisions. Because we're talking about someone who has worked for a company for 20 or 30 years. They might be someone who is still grandfathered in with Bailey Provisions.
1: We had one of those two weeks ago, and we've had a number of those in the last few years. You do indeed need to understand the Bailey Provisions. Now, the Bailey provision says if you don't do this, if you leave your money there in your 401k with the state or whoever the employer is, when you do take money out, your North Carolina tax will be forgiven. There'll be no North Carolina tax. Right. So now, so now, we need to run the numbers very carefully and see by having the ab- ability to choose different investments and see how they have done. Uh-huh. Does it offset? the benefit of leaving your investments where they are to save the North Carolina tax. And we always want to run both of those numbers before we make any decision. But if indeed it looks like you're much better off, then indeed the in-service withdrawal will be what we will recommend. If it doesn't, then we recommend you don't, Because the Bayley provision does need to be taken into consideration, yes.
3: Now, the second question that this prompts in in my mind for other client scenarios is this. What if you are hearing this for the first time that there's this provision called an in-service withdrawal? How do you find out whether or not there is one? Is there a short answer to, you know, where do you go to find out? Does my employer provide
1: an in-service withdrawal? you know Deborah it's a great question because so many times I have asked clients in my office do you have it and they say uh, no I think I can get money for my 401k if I have a, a disability or a sickness or buying a right. home. But <laughs> you personally have experience how did you find out for I think it was clients at uh, Glaxos I uh, think it was- that,
3: yeah sev- several different employers and the easiest fastest way is get me on the line with you and know how to ask those questions we'll call together and we'll find out the answer if it's provision available to you. Make a difference in
2: your financial planning. Call us at Lewis Financial Management. Money. Set up your appointment. Call us at 919-872-7000.
0: You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919 872 7000. That's 919 872 7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.